Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Jody Harsh. You're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the House Culture Podcast with me, your host, the managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. Thank you, dear listener, for choosing to invite us into your head to listen to our podcast today. It really does mean a lot to us, and I want to personally thank each and every one of you, as we've had some amazing stats come through from Spotify that places this podcast into the top 2.5% of shows in the world as well as the top 10% of most followed shows worldwide. To say I'm humbled by that doesn't even come close. So thanks again for being a part of this journey with us. However, if it's your first time here, then I'd like to welcome you to House Culture. We are a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Instagram is where you can find our main party. So come and join us and over 100,000 others on a virtual dance floor where everyone is welcome. And if you haven't already, please have a dig through our back catalogue of incredible podcast guests as we approach our 50th episode. I can't believe I'm saying that. We've spoken to people from across the entire spectrum of club culture, whether that's Strictly Rhythm co-founder Gladys Pizarro, legendary DJs like Paul Oakenfold and Roger Sanchez, club promoters such as Danny Clockwork or Dave Jones, or even Pikes Hotel creative director Dawn Hindle. There really is something for everyone. Coming up on this episode, I sat down with a fierce drag queen who's made a massive impact within the house music and LGBTQ community, a DJ and producer who always delivers the energy to the dance floor. It is, of course, the one and only Jodie Harsh. In our chat, you'll hear what originally turned her on to club culture. I remember my family bought a Ministry of Sound compilation and I remember thinking, what's Ministry of Sound? And found out that it was a club. So that CD also opened my eyes to this nocturnal world of things that go bump in the night. The importance of her first clubbing experiences. First time I ever went to a club was G-A-Y at the London Astoria. I remember walking in very nervous and my mind was blown. It was 2,000 people that were like me. Which legendary club night was unmissable for her during those early years. So I went to trade at Terminals and that's where I properly fell in love with being out and dancing to house music. And we danced there until 11am. And just how important it is for her to participate in this nocturnal world of ours. Nightlife can be a really important thing for someone. Whether it's a release, an escape, learning who you are, can be a refuge. It could be community. It's amazing to be a part of that and to soundtrack it as well because music's really medicine. I think it's a real privilege to be able to share that with people. I hope you're ready. This is Jody Harsh. House Culture. Hi Jody, thank you so much for sitting down with us on the House Culture podcast. It's much appreciated in your hectic, busy 
life and diary that you've got. You are a fierce force of nature behind the decks, a producer of high energy house music and someone who has been described as Britain's best known drag queen. We want to hear about all of those many, many talents of yours. But before we do, we always like to start at the beginning and ask, where did you grow up and how did you first discover music that you loved? So I grew up in Canterbury in Kent, which is a very nice place uh, to visit for a day or two. But as sort of a young queer kid, I just couldn't wait to escape mm-hmm. that sort of small town, really, and and, and be in London, um, in the bright lights of London. And yeah, growing up there was fine. I had a really nice childhood, mm-hmm. but I always, I'm not saying I felt like a big fish in a small pond, but I definitely felt like there were other places that I needed to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, later on in life, I fe- later on in my teenage years, I found out that that was nightlife. That's what I was attracted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been a bit of a magpie. I've always liked sort of colourful, shiny things. And I've always liked dance music. And I've always liked the sort of... I've basically always been very engaged with culture mm-hmm. ever since I was a child. And, and you know, I've, I've always been a fan of things. So, so I, d- I definitely wanted to go out and explore that yeah. basically yeah yeah and and really kind of swim in that so um yeah couldn't wait to get to london basically <laughs> my first sort of glimpse into dance music was my my parents there was always a lot of music in my house there was mm-hmm. always a lot of soul there was always a lot of disco my mum's a big disco fan mm-hmm. um from back in the day <laughs> and when um i remember we bought my family bought a cd um a ministry of sound compilation i think maybe one of it was a double cd one of them was maybe paul van dyke or something mm-hmm. the other one was mixed by boy george okay and i was a little more funky a little more a little more um a little more vocal mm-hmm. and i remember thinking what's this <laughs> dance music you know i was a kid but i remember i remember being i remember just completely smashing that cd mm-hmm. to pieces and listening to it like five times a day yeah. um so i can't really remember any tunes that are on it right now but <laughs> It, but that's definitely where my ears pricked up mm-hmm. to dance music and dance music culture. And obviously, I was like, what's Ministry of Sound? And found out that it was a club. So that also, that CD also opened my eyes to this world of like this nocturnal world of like things that go bump in the night, basically, <laughs> that, I, that, I, that, that, that I was fascinated by when I was younger and couldn't wait to get to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like when you were listening to that CD, did you have any idea of like it was a DJ, someone was putting it together, like in terms of mixing, or, or was it just a case of I love the music? Yeah, the two they both CDs were completely mixed together, mm. so I guess that made sense as being a DJ set. And I remember seeing pictures of Boy George in a full face of makeup and a crazy hat. DJing and sort of carrying around a record box and stuff. I remember maybe I'd, I don't know. I probably saw it on like News Round or something. I don't know. <laughs> like I saw it on the TV somewhere, and I remember that visual really drew me in as well into this world because also I was like, wow, it's a man in makeup mm-hmm. who's kind of playing with gender, putting music on, conducting this giant room full of people that are dancing, and it, and it, something just felt quite sort of tribal and quite kind of like um or how would you describe it like like a secret that that that, that people were in on mm-hmm. um and a, a collection of people kind of sharing a moment i remember definitely feeling that so i couldn't wait to get get out and try it <laughs> so tell me about um you know you, you grew up in canterbury what was the clubbing experience like there was it that was that like you weren't even interested in that <coughs> excuse me there was a club and it was called the biz and I don't know if it's actually still there. I think mm-hmm. it's called something else. That's probably been turned into a Weatherspoons or something. But <laughs> it was um, that was the club. I remember. I remember we went there and drunk like hooches and stuff. And I was like fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's crazy what I got away with. Um, wait, my mum's just texted me. Let me see what this is. Oh, my mum just texted me saying they've just played my house on Radio One. Ah, oh, sorry. Don't worry. Um, I digress. <laughs> um, <laughs> So the biz mm. in Canterbury was the spot. Mm-hmm. And also Canterbury is a very young city because it's um, got a huge university. Yeah. So there, there were always lots of young people around. But yeah, not, not, not the most diverse nightlife offering in mm-hmm. that city, to be honest. And also it's only, it's only an hour and a half away from London. So what was your first clubbing experience in London? Where did you go? First time I ever went to a club was 
G-A-Y at the London Astoria. I was 15 years old. <laughs> and I remember walking in very nervous. Uh-huh. Great fake ID. Mm-hmm. Um, walked in with my best girlfriend at the time. And like my mind was blown. It was thousands of people dancing to the music that I loved. Mm-hmm. And um, it was thousands of people that were like, you know, 2,000 people that were like me. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't really around many many lgbtq plus people and suddenly i was in a room sharing a moment with literally thousands of them and that moment was very transformative to me i remember walking in and thinking oh i'm home oh this is where i'm supposed to be oh now it all makes sense oh this is everything together that i'm that i'm interested in and engaged in like everything made sense in that one moment Mm -hmm. and yeah just finding that that tribal instinct in amongst the you know your people on the dance floor it's you know like you said it's completely transformative Yeah, and I really, learned, I really learned a lot about myself um, through clubbing at that age. I mean, I was absolutely too young to go out, mm-hmm. but for me personally, um, you know, I wasn't really out. I wasn't out to my parents until a little, a little later, and it, I, you know, it was a place for me to really explore myself, who I am, what I like, whether that was musically, sexually, who I wanted to be friends with, that kind of thing. Because you know okay so they weren't going to clubs but the, the the straight boys in my school were not um doing anything different they just weren't doing it in in nightclubs mm-hmm. they just weren't as evolved um and yeah i got away with going there for ages and ages until well i say ages probably six months mm-hmm. until one day i i got challenged about my fake id Mm-hmm. Um, by a security guard who I thought was my pal, who I was like said hi to on the way in. Yeah, and uh, they did not let me in. They said you're going to need to bring a passport or a driving license. And I was 15 years old. I was like, fuck! I've <laughs> lost my kind of like my my um, connection with yeah. like who I am. This like nightclub that I was coming to every Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And so my group of friends, um, some of my group of friends were a little bit older than me and they were like, well, let's go to trade. Mm-hmm. So I went to trade at Terminals, yeah. uh, legendary sort of like hard house club. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I went there at 16 years old. I was like dancing <laughs> in the middle of the dance floor with like sweaty men with the tops off. And that, I mean, that, and that's where I fell in, properly fell in love with being out and dancing to house music. Because G.A.Y. at the Astoria was pop. It was yeah. remixed pop music but trade in trade it was a hard house club but they had a um a separate room called trade lights mm-hmm. and that's where djs like smoking joe were dj mm-hmm. and that's where it was a little more funky things were a bit more soulful a bit more vocal mm-hmm. and we dance there until 11 a.m yeah well i mean yeah we've spoken to smoking joe on this podcast and tall paul as well and there's so many trade yeah. turn stories that's it's an incredible venue totally this was this was after its peak like i wasn't there in its absolute peak moment this mm-hmm. was sort of as it was not petering out but this but you know it'd been around for a long time by the time i was 16 and, and, and going there so um but that was that was fu- i was fully in then i was like right i love house music i love dance music and the culture around it i love partying <laughs> and um i love staying up till 11 a.m then getting the train home being completely eyes like saucers <laughs> and my, and i'm like are you all right i'm like I'm just gonna like try and go to sleep. I like God, I was such a terror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you look back on that and do you actually think that you were too young? Or do you think that you I know... do think I I think now in retrospect, I think I was a bit too young. Mm. I think but at the time I really needed it. And it was a different time as well. Like there was no social media, there was no you know, I wasn't out. I, I for me, it served its purpose, mm-hmm. and I did. If because I think if I hadn't have found the queer scene or the club life that I was in, and these new friends that I made, I don't know where I would be. Yeah. Because at fifteen years old, not knowing anyone else like me, with that shared um, experience, I don't know. I mean, I'd have gone into such a depression and such a yeah, luckily I only lived an hour and a half from London. Yeah. I could get, I could, you know, climb out a window and get on a train and sort of be myself. But if I couldn't do that for years and years to come, I don't know. Yeah. 
where where I'd have been. So for me at the time, it, it was fine. I do look back and think, oh God, that's so young. But but also like you shouldn't really have regrets in life. And I, and honestly, I had a fucking great time. So whatever. <laughs> I don't recommend other people go to nightclubs at fifteen at all. But for me, I really I really needed that at that time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like you say, if it feels young, I was going to raise with my brother when I was fourteen. So I completely feel yeah. like you know, yeah, and I had a great time and all of these yeah. things. And it's like you know, you do look back and think, wow, you know, that she's very young, but. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you like you say, you find this community out there that is yeah. uh, for, for all completely for you. So you moved from Canterbury into London and to study at the London College of Fashion. Is that right? I did. Yeah. When I was 18, mm-hmm. I um, got into London College of Fashion. I was going to do I did a degree in journalism. I wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wanted to be like a writer at Vogue magazine or something. <laughs> and while I was at uni, I basically went out every single night and that's where I started working in nightclubs to sort of pay my way, you know, through, through university and, and you know, couldn't really survive on a student loan and my parents yeah. didn't really have any money to give me. So I had to work somehow. And so it, it was nightlife and that's where my connections were and stuff. So I'd like to do the door and dress up and sort of do dance on the bar. And I don't know, like <laughs> just whatever job at like, I used to do like I, I think I once did like the till at the end for mm-hmm. a few months. I used to make so much money from it. It's like <laughs> I used to like rob them blind. It's so funny. <laughs> Only like fifty quid and stuff, but you know, like I'd be like ten of it the till, ten for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, um, so while I was studying, I did. I finished my degree and I did well in my degree, mm. um, but I was fully in the club scene. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was really, I really managed to juggle going out all night and then studying in the day and going to lectures and stuff. And I think at that age, you just can, right? Yeah, you just yeah. kind of have so much more energy. And yeah, I hung out with DJs and, and you know, was getting into all the clubs and parties and hanging out with all sorts of fun, interesting people and supermodels and fucking pop stars. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, complete madness i loved it and so i mean at that stage when you were studying or whatever did you feel that okay things are turning now it's like maybe you know a a career in journalism or whatever is not where i want to follow through on it's more yeah leaning into the nightlife for halfway through my degree i was like Mm. i do not want to be a journalist i just i just i just don't it just doesn't really serve what i kind of like and the the exciting life that i wanted to lead Mm. which for me was was just being out really late in flashing lights and smoke smoke machines kind of that, that was just real i was just completely obsessed with it uh-huh. so um but i finished my degree yeah and you say that you did well out of it as well which is the the, the main thing and just having a degree i think was an important thing for me personally because mm-hmm. i guess not to prove a point but i just wanted to have it just to go well, i've got a degree you know it was important that i that i just had that yeah you know yeah Maybe to prove a point, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what? Um, so what happened after that? Then, where you were promoting your own events and running things, and yeah. So to talk to us about that. Yeah, I started. So from working in nightclubs, mm. in drag and stuff, and I started getting a little bit known for being like the it girl, mm-hmm. and um, I threw a twenty-first birthday party for myself, and that then made me realize that oh maybe i can i I mean everyone was at this fucking party it was like completely insane it was really like a hot thing it was in all the papers there was so many famous people and interesting people and fashion people and Mm -hmm. art people and stuff i really music people just brought a lot of different people together and i thought oh i could maybe do that i could actually be a club promoter yeah so i did start to do my own club nights and throwing like raves and stuff Mm -hmm. and that then led to me um, because budgets were quite low at the time. So I thought, I love music. Most of my friends are DJs. Why don't I learn how to DJ? Yeah. So one of my best friends, um, who's DJ, still a very successful DJ, um, taught me basically how to use CDJs. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved it. <laughs> I and have a look back. <laughs> so, I mean, that was the logical next step, right? I mean, were you, you know, you, you said you had a mentor, someone to, to kind of show you the ropes. We, we, that was it then, you were all in. What what kind of, 
what style of music were you kind of leaning towards at that stage? Is it something that's developed over over time? It's definitely developed. At first, it was definitely sort of like a bit more open format than what than what um, than what I play now. Like it was just kind of whatever I was into. Mm-hmm. It was a different time as well. Like I feel like in clubs you can kind of get away with just like playing anything. Um, then I started to really hone in on house music and dance music in general, but house and disco are the sort of the two pools that I pull from basically mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm more a little more rigid yeah now. yeah and what what were those kind of early gigs like in terms of performing and you know getting into character and all of those things were you know were there any moments where you're like oh i'm really nervous or like oh that was i've cleared a dance floor you know or was it instant impact and you were like oh, i'm just i'm i'm great at this kind of <laughs> instant impact i really just like knew how to read a crowd mm-hmm. give them what they want and also give give put put you know it's got to sound like me and it's got to be what i want to play as well it's kind of like a little bit of give and take isn't it i feel I feel like good djs you kind of like play a bit for the crowd you play a bit for yourself play a bit mm-hmm. for the crowd play a bit for yourself and and i've always yeah i've i've um I've probably cleared floors for sure. Have I? I guess. I mean, I think every every DJ has as part of the learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew instantly that I completely loved it, yeah. and I loved being sort of the conductor controlling the room. I loved. Um, well, I just loved playing music yeah. out yeah. for people to dance to, and seeing that react, and seeing people sort of lose themselves in it, and happy and dancing. And you know, when you're up in the DJ booth and you see little. You know, you see your friendship groups and you see sort of people, you know, getting off with someone, you know, you just see the whole thing unfold and it's to, and you're soundtracking that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're also, you know, people are discovering music um, that you're playing to them. And if you make music yourself, when you play that, um, especially when tracks do well, like if I, if I, you know, for example, with me, it's my house is kind of my theme tune mm-hmm. and that tracked it quite well. And when I see people like singing it back or like requesting it or like putting their phones up with like, play my house, you know, <laughs> or like, and, like singing the words back at me. And so it's like, Oh, that's amazing. Mm. Cause that's connecting. And that's, that's, that's just basic human connection and, and interaction. And you're really sharing this sort of like, moment in this dark room with flashing lights and it like we said earlier it's it's kind of tribal yeah um you know and you can feel so high off a dj set i've got i've got a show tonight and it's like i'm just gonna feel so high afterwards and then come down yeah. <laughs> you know like it, it's there's so much like energy it's the energy exchange there's mm. like and it's so exciting like playing music to people and, and getting it reacting and having a sea of people jumping up and down in front of you yeah. um it's really exciting. There's no feeling like it, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's all down to you as well. It's not like you know you're uh, you're part of a band and you've got someone no. on drums or a bassist over here totally. or whatever. It's one hundred percent on you. Sometimes I do for the bigger shows. I do feel it's not really nervous, mm-hmm. and it's it's obviously I'm excited before I play, but it's not nervous. But I do if I'm stood backstage and there's literally ten thousand people out there, the feeling that I feel is. Oof, the pressure's on. Yeah. Okay, the pressure's on. Right, let's go. Right, well, this is it's got to be good this time. And also, I um, do sometimes think like because I have a visual show now and all that kind of stuff, and I work with really amazing people who are so good at their jobs. And and but of course, in any live environment, sometimes there could be a technical hitch that might be in the music, mm-hmm. in the in the sound system, that might be the, the visuals, whatever. And, you just, and, and the, a bit of anxiety comes in because I just want it to be really good and be really perfect. Yeah. Because I'm obviously very nit. I'm a creative person, so I'm very nitpicky about the performance. And you know, I'm, I'll more often than not come off stage and be like, "It was fine, but <laughs> you know, it was like the best time out there." But I'm like, "Oh, the booth monitor was shit. Like that was awful." And I'll be like in a foul mood for the rest of the day. You could be your own worst critic, I think. Yeah, in, in those oh, kind of. Course. Yeah, but that any creative person's like that. I mm-hmm. think. I think that's because you want it just to be really good, and you love what you do, yeah. and you want it to be as perfect as it possibly can. And yeah, you, we we work in the live moment, the live environment, so mm-hmm. things can sometimes go wrong, and it's a bit scary to think about that. But yeah, I get a little. It's not really anxiety. It's just it's just a bit like woof yeah. pressure. Yeah. And when you look back, um, can you kind of pinpoint a part in your career where it's like 
you came off of a show or a gig or something and or were approaching some like a a gig or playing at a certain club and we're like this is going to be like the big break this is going to launch me to the next level in terms of my career what can you think about any moments like that whenever you have those moments that you think are going to be the absolute moment they're not <laughs> and, it's, and it's when you least expect them or a show mm-hmm. that you think it's like nah, it's gonna be fine that's more often than not they're the ones that are like wow that's one for the books mm. yeah but okay so certain things i like doing really unusual things like i dj'd on a plane to new york once that was like fucking really? insane <laughs> You know, like such a sort of like a random sort of brand deal type thing with Virgin Atlantic. Yeah. But I was like sick. I was like, oh, that's one for, you know, like that's that's a great story to tell the grandkids. I DJed on a flight to New York. <laughs> um, and then like they've, they've just, there've been some very big crowds mm-hmm. um, um, that, that, you know, when you DJ to literally tens of thousands of people that's like wow i'm in such a lucky position that i'm given the opportunity to to do that that like is you know i feel trusted to to take that show on Mm -hmm. and to be given those opportunities and stuff i I don't take that lightly and and that's so so definitely like quite a few of those stick in my mind for sure as being like really kind of like wow Mm -hmm. i'm 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 allowed to go do that that's like really (laughs) such a privilege yeah you know. yeah and what's the kind of preference we've spoken to so many djs on this and you know like i remember when we spoke to norman cook and he was saying you know obviously he has a visual show as well and uh, you know with huge crowds and and you know there obviously is pressure there yeah. but it can feel quite constrictive in that sense because it's just yeah. so so big yeah. it's more of a performance show and he was like you know just talking about the difference between that and a more intimate club i mean wh- where do you stand on what your preference is and what you love I absolutely love both. Mm-hmm. They are different types of shows. You can take people on a little bit more of a journey with a little sweaty club and you feel like you're a bit more in, you know, you're in a 500 cup venue or something. You're in, you're a bit more in the crowd. You're kind of in this together. Mm. Whereas if you're, if you're on a festival stage, I mean, it's amazing to be like a main stage or something, you know, like a cream fields or whatever. And, but, but it it's, it's a lot more like pumping it out, going with a visual show. Um, I, often I'll, I'll sort of mix out sort of as the breakdown comes in. So it's just energy, energy, energy. Because yeah. people, because it's a different thing. People are at a festival. They've bought a ticket. They haven't bought a ticket to see you. You come to, you go into a festival. You've not just bought a ticket to see Jodie Hutch. You're, you've gone because there are eight stages and they're all going to be fucking fab and you want to go and explore and you've got to keep people's attention. You've got to keep people in front of the stage because because that's that's like part of the job you've got yeah. to keep people there partying mm-hmm. so i like to keep the energy up and um i won't play as much of the track i mean i'm not mixing out after 30 seconds or anything like that but but you know like i won't play like an 11 minute extended you know <laughs> mix of something i I'll, I'll really try and keep the energy going whereas with a, a sweaty club you can afford no one's going anywhere they might pop out for a cigarette, but they're basically, they're there, they're in. Mm-hmm. So you you can take them on a little bit more of a journey. Be a, bit, a little bit more self-indulgent, maybe, and a bit more educational with, like, stuff they may not have heard before. There is no preference between them. I love both. Yeah. I absolutely love both. Yeah, I'm fully up for, you know, major pop star festival show and, and you know, sweaty nightclub. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're saying about keeping that energy up, um when you're playing at a festival or something like that do you how do you approach your set not even maybe even the difference between the two kind of environments but do you have um you know a beginning middle and end are there certain yeah. beats that you've got to hit or how do you how do you build your set pre and in yeah. the moment so i always have a little play with my record box before um usually the day before mm-hmm. and i'll never fully plan a set but i'll certainly pull some tracks out and throw them into a folder um on record box and i will Go, I still go between folders, but there are so, there are like certain tracks where I'm like, oh, that'll be really good for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I t- because as I said, I liked um, the full spectrum of dance music, but focusing really on disco and house music. And so I'll start with a li- some some sort of more musical stuff, really a bit more a bit more disco, mm-hmm. still with a hard beat, but but and then we'll, I'll progress. I might go into a little bit more kind of tribally, a bit more like melee and, and stuff like that. And take it, maybe take a little carnival halfway through just for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then we're fully in like proper stripped, like pumping house by the end. I, that's the narrative that I 
tend to like to sort of follow but again it nothing's set in stone and mm-hmm. and i can pull from like hundreds of thousands of tracks that i love but that's the sort of arc that i generally like to create yeah mm-hmm. and i don't yeah i t- yeah basically that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i never plan a set like this is the second track this yeah. is the third this is the fourth oh my god like I guarantee you get out there and it won't be right. You you, you will sense that, that that's that's not the energy isn't at that moment. Like you yeah. you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like you you can't plan sets. I don't mm-hmm. know how anyone could do that. Yeah. I do not know how anyone could do that. So weird. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I've been to gigs and festivals and things, and sometimes you can tell the DJ is just going to play what they want to play and they've not even considered like the vibe of the previous person or whatever and they've kind of changed everything and it's all gone. Oh, yeah, hey, yeah. those people are called, those, we call those people cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, you're so right, it's hilarious. What was I talking about? You've, you've totally thrown me with your cunts thing. <laughs> oh my God. No. Um, that is what cunts do. That is, yeah, you're right, yeah. Um, no, I mean, so we're talking about um, tracks and sets and whatever. I mean, you have moved into production. You've already mentioned My House and you've released Good Time recently as well. I mean, yeah. those are absolute pumping house bangers. I mean, how would you describe those productions and what kind of sound are you going for when you when you create those tracks? Well, my house, um, there was a big sample in it mm-hmm. from a track that I absolutely love by the Mary Jane Girls. And I, ju- I had that idea in my head for ages before I fully realised it. That was my um, next question about that sample as well. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah I, lo- I love that track. Uh-huh. And then that Everybody's Welcome My House bit, that's just me pitched down on Little Alter Boy. And I, I did that right at the very end. That mm-hmm. wasn't in any of the demos until... Like it was almost, it was like, I think it was when the track was being mixed or something. And and I just like threw that in as like a funny bit that I was hearing in my head. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that bit kind of is one of the bits that, that's right, one of the hooks, isn't it? It's one of the yeah. main hooks of the track. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so it's sort of disco kissed house is, is what that, that really is. Mm-hmm. And same with Good Time as well. Good Time's like very disco. It's got a lot of real instruments in it and stuff. They're very disco-y. Yeah, and I mean you know some of those uh some of your tracks have come out kind of during lockdown and i mean i suppose a two-pronged question really how was like lockdown for you as a as a creative person that feeds off an audience um yeah. and how were you when you were creating these tracks did you want to road test them how do you operate in the studio when you're when you're making music do you, do you yeah. feel like you need the feedback from the crowd or are you just like it's done and that's it well Lockdown for me was obviously it was stressful because I couldn't get out there doing what I love, which is playing to real people. Mm. Um, but then everyone across the world had that exactly the same problem. So I don't want to be all like self obsessed and indulgent, being like it was terrible because none of us could do to do any, you know, really do anything like mm. normally. Um, but I just I'd only just started my music project, my my artist project, like six months before, as in releasing singles. So I just kept going. Yeah. And I don't really like to road test music that much mm-hmm. um, when it's um, before stuff makes the master and really before it's out. Like I know a lot of DJs love just to bash their tunes out when they're like mid making them and just sort of see how they're working on the dance floor and stuff. And I know it's something that I should do more. Mm-hmm. But I always get a bit like, eh, I, I, I've spent so much time in nightclubs and, and so much of my life has been spent in nightclubs and on the dance floor and so much time controlling the room behind the decks that it really is just intuitive and, and second nature to me. Now, what's going to sound right? What's going to, where the peaks and troughs should be. And um, I kind of know what's right for the dance floor, like without having to physically be on it, mm-hmm. I think. So, um but of course, when clubs did open back up, I couldn't wait to play it out live then. Yeah, and is it um, when you've when you've created those tracks? Is it? I think you've already kind of mentioned this as well, but a bit more detail around like the feeling of like something that you've created yourself, and you see people singing it back. How how special is that relationship that your productions? Yeah, it's very special. Like it, it's a whole new element of being a DJ. For me, because my artist project has only really, I've been remixing for longer and stuff, but my, my personal artist project has only been, I guess, like two and a half years now or something. So, mm-hmm. so it, it just adds to the, an, an extra layer of connection and um, 
just cool to be making music. It's like when you're in a band, you know, and you sort of people are singing your music about you. That must feel so amazing. And I always remember, like, oh, well, I remember writing those lyrics, or oh, I remember those days in the studio making that, or oh, I remember being on my laptop, changing that little sound there and that, you know. And it, it it's it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> and like your artist projects as well. You said you've been remixing for ages, and you're you know producing your own things now. I mean, what what's your feeling on you know? Can we expect an album? Or are you just interested yeah. in singles? What's the overarching philosophy and the future hold? I'd love to do an album mm-hmm. at some point. I'm not sure what shape and form it would really take, and I don't know if anyone's like screaming out for a Jodie Harsh album. And it's <laughs> the dance vibe is a bit more like chucking out singles, right? Mm-hmm. So um, definitely loads of singles, loads of tunes. I'm sat on so much music now, so many good tunes, so many good songs, and I'd love to do another EP actually of a bit more underground banging stuff, mm-hmm. like uh, my, my the singles that I'm putting out now kind of have to work on the dance floor but also the radio so um i would at some point like to do like a banging ep of like proper just thumpers (laughs) so that's definitely an ambition of mine and i mean would you 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 know some artists kind of do that and sometimes they put it out under a different name or a different moniker or whatever would you i'd love to do that at some point yeah i only i I only have this one name though there is no other artist (laughs) project out there that is actually me but at some point i would that that could be kind of fun maybe that's in 10 years time i don't know a lot of dance music these days um especially singles have like a guest vocalist or they're a collaboration with someone um you know is there anyone out there that you really respect that you would love to work with uh something you can look on a future release what's your feeling about collaboration oh i'm totally up for collaboration i have so many collaborations as well just like sat on a sat in a folder (laughs) waiting for the right moment to to release stuff definitely love collaboration collaboration with um vocalists um there's so many people out there that i would want to work with for sure yeah you want names i'm not gonna give them no no, no, i'm not (laughs) you're like right who no no, don't worry. I know what these things are like, where it's like you say, you say something and then for whatever reason it doesn't happen, and you just like, oh man. Yeah, and then yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and then you just look like an idiot. So yeah. I keep my mouth shut, literally, <laughs> literally like ready to like drop on Spotify, and then I start talking about it. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, okay, so I want to talk about um, the, the the drag scene and your involvement with that and your whole kind of persona and you know i'm like literally 
you know, f- forgive me, I'm a straight white male. I have no idea about any of the language about any of this. So if I'm like in- inadvertently insulting you in any way, please tell me to shut the fuck up and correct me because I need to grow and learn myself. So, um, you know, uh, what I want to kind of know about is that obviously you're an icon within this scene um, and you've got a, a, an amazing silhouette behind the decks. You know, it's like you, you could be in the shadow and you know exactly who that is. Um, you know, do you feel the pressure to kind of maintain that look? How and you know how long does it take to to put all of that together? It takes a few hours to get ready for mm. sure. Uh, I, li- I like three three hours, and I can I can take my time and fully look like that. I started to drag. I started to do drag when I was eighteen, when I was when I was at uni, and I um, just found this look that I. Over the over the first few years that I sort of stuck with and thought, oh, that suits me, mm-hmm. and um, I was there because you know, I never really like performed. I was always sort of the odd one out in in the drag world because the only thing that I had in common with other queens in London was the fact that I wore makeup and a wig too, and mm-hmm. and drag a lot of drag, especially because of RuPaul's Drag Race being so popular now. A lot of drag is all about a performance, but B, it's about changing up the looks and always looking different and being super creative with that. Whereas with me, it's almost a bit more uniform, and it's a bit you, you know, I I just always want to look the same, and it's not out of laziness. It's just out of sort of not distracting from the music or the show. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in like you know playing with like all different looks and stuff like that. It's for me, it's all about the show. It's all about music. Yeah, yeah. and I love. I love that it's iconic. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the hair is iconic. It is. Uh, it's just like funny. Um, and, but you know, I never, like I said, I never like lip synced and performed or did all those traditional things. I've never been in the drag scene. It's just that, that I do happen to wear makeup and, and hair. And I guess it helps me stand out and stuff. And like, so I feel like a bit of an odd one out in drag world. But then I obviously feel like an odd one out in DJ world because yeah. I'm the only. I'm the only one but then I don't know maybe Daft Punk felt like the odd ones out because they were the only robots yeah. I don't know <laughs> I don't know or Dead Mouse was the only like Mickey Mouse impersonator I don't know <laughs> well and having that unique quality as well that's yeah I think it's fun like people remember remember me because of that and you know I think in the in um in dance culture that like masks slash costumes have, have often been played with mm. You know, and even like if you think like craft work and their suits and yeah. all that kind of stuff, you know, that that these sorts of like these sort of like uniform or um, so iconic looks have been crafted by by DJs for since DJs really came about, and it is part of dance culture. Mm-hmm. And you know, dance culture comes from queer culture a lot of it, of, as we know, as well as black culture and Latin culture mm-hmm. and 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 drag is a really big part of queer culture and and you know in those in those clubs where house music was invented trust me there were fucking drag queens running around so the straight white men better not have a fucking problem with me (laughs) get out the fucking club otherwise if you really do do you know what i mean it's like this is literally like at the roots of the culture that you're enjoying yeah yeah So, so i just happen to sort of be the only one really now that's you know on these lineups and 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 whatever so um you know it's just it is what it is i don't know it's it's where i it's my performance costume it's Mm -hmm. my it's what i don't know it's so uniform i don't even think about it i think about obviously what i'm gonna wear and stuff but i really don't think about it it's just me getting ready for for work and by work i mean to perform yeah yeah and you know like you say you are blazing that trail um you know what what advice would um you give anyone like someone starting out on their own journey into into the scene what 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 would you say what would you tell them what doing drag doing drag don't fucking try it i'll beat you up Just step on my turf, bitch. <laughs> Fucking cut you. Joking, obviously. Um, just you know, be yourself. Mm-hmm. All that. Kind of, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of that, as you like slap loads of makeup on. Um, don't know. Just, just experimentation is fun, and yeah. and um, you do you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. 
brilliant. Um, so, I mean, and you're create you're curating um, the queer club night. Feel it at um, yeah. London's Omira. I mean, how yeah. do you how do you approach putting that together? Is that like harking back to the times where you were, you know, running and promoting clubs? Yeah. Yes. So when um, when we went into lockdown, mm. I thought. I've got to do a club night when we when I I originally wasn't going to do club nights anymore um and I kind of like put an end to that and was going to focus on music and DJing only but went to lockdown and I thought what people are going to need when this pure hell is is over with or starts getting better anyway people are going to want somewhere really amazing to go out and I thought I've got to create that and it was it's me and and um Clayton who is a really good friend of mine who has a club brand called Little Gay Brother, mm-hmm. which is so amazing. And they're at all the festivals and they they do huge shows in London and, and elsewhere. And he does production for Peggy Goo and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's such a cool, cool world. And um, we teamed up and, um, and we came up with this concept together called Feel It. And, and you know that we went to Omira and and asked if we could do it every Friday, mm-hmm. and it was, it was just going to be a very short term project. But we've actually just celebrated one year, and it doesn't sort of show any signs of slowing down. So it's going to keep rolling until the wheels fall off, whenever that <laughs> might be. Might be another year of it. I don't know. But yeah. it, right now, it's it's it allows me to stay um, on that side of club culture, and I love the I love the production and i love also it's like giving like like a thousand queer people a place to go every friday night mm-hmm. um where there's quality music and it's such a fun experience it kind of feels like what i imagine the paradise garage would have been like back in the day or something it's like it feels quite wild in there actually yeah music's great the venue's amazing people are great and we've also started bringing in really interesting DJs and Patrick Topping played for us a few months ago, you know, mm-hmm. he'd never played a queer party before. And I just hit him up on DM and I was like, Hey, Patrick, <laughs> can you come and play my pie? He was like, yeah, let's do it. And we've got some other really good people coming up and we've, we've, we've had some really great, great DJs and, and some just really exciting stuff's gone on in that club. And um, I just really, really enjoy, this will be my last club. I, yeah. I won't I won't do I won't do um when feel it whenever feel it does come to a draws to a close mm. I won't set up another club night I'd imagine it's a lot of hard work as well not really <laughs> because we share we share it Clayton and I and he we play to our strengths like I'm a lot more of the kind of creative the vision and the, and and he's um Clayton's really organized and really like emails agents and does all that kind of stuff that I I personally don't do um dancer rotors all that kind of stuff and we we both have an assistant each as well like I have, mm-hmm. a, I have an assistant who who called Jake who basically like runs all the little nitty-gritty nitty sort of finer detail things of my life which is like a huge help so mm-hmm. I can balance these and I can wear these various hats like the club hat, the touring hat, the music production hat, the songwriting session hat, mm-hmm. the you know, I, I can I can juggle all these different hats. The podcast hat. I can juggle all these because I'm um I have a bit of extra help. And yeah, you were say like you've you've stolen my line. You're talking about hats. I was gonna say you've got a podcaster hat as well, because I do want to talk about that. Um it's a wig podcaster wig the podcaster wig um yeah i mean you know uh, it's i'm sure you found as well i'm pleased to say you're you know you're a podcast yourself as you know you you host the life of the party podcast um can you like just tell our listeners like what the format is is of your podcast and you know why people listening to this one should tune into that one what goes on on it so i chat to various cultural pop cultural figures um about their life through via the dance floor mm-hmm. and how it sort of inspired them and how it's um informs their work or informs their life and if they've met boyfriends on the dance floor whatever and I had some really cool people on um i didn't just want to do djs that was important um to me that i wanted to kind of explore people in other walks of life as, as well mm-hmm. plus you do it with djs already <laughs> so i wanted to um i wanted to sort of like for example we had tom daly mm-hmm. who yeah. i wanted to know how he celebrated winning the olympics mm-hmm. in where he went out where the first club he went where, where was he going to gay clubs before before he came out blah 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 it's just questions and conversations around um nightclubs and how important they can be to people's lives mm-hmm. um 
as you know, as I spoke about, my nightlife experience was really helped shape who I am and was, you know, I wasn't suicidal or anything like that, but for sure I um, really, really needed nightclubs when I was 15. I needed that escape. I needed that place to go to and find out who who I am. And, and like I said, I don't know where I would have been if I hadn't have done that. So, um, so nightlife can be nightlife can just be very, very important to people without even realizing it. People think, oh yeah, clubs. I just go to a club every few weeks, whatever. It's fun, a bit of a dance with the with the girls, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever. But actually, it's it, when you look into it, it can be a little bit more important than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a community, isn't it? It's um, you know, yeah, even absolutely. if whatever time of day it happens, you know, if you've got hundreds of people who are enjoying the same thing, it's no matter what, it's a community. Yeah yeah cool i mean yeah and so what and what about podcasting do you love so much do you um is it uh the the chats the intimacy you know just the conversations tell me why um why you enjoy doing it well i do i like stuff about people and i like talking about clubs (laughs) (laughs) and um and and it's just it's just interesting it just, mm. it's just interesting hearing other people's stories mm-hmm. i think cool well i mean you know i'm gonna move on to um our playlist our perfect playlist so yeah. this is what can be found on spotify all of our guests have uh, submitted tracks based on five themes it's a huge huge beast i think there's over well over 200 tracks on there now i think it's like over 24 hours long the whole playlist itself so wow. it's 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 it's, cra- it's a crazy listen there's lots of random things in there but also loads of really really good rich stuff um that some out of left field some anthems you know just put it on shuffle it's always a good listen um and you've been fantastic we've got your five choices before the interview so it's always worrying when uh you're going to do them live or you get them through quite late and you're like oh no i don't know if i'm going to recognize all of these but yeah no they're all fantastic choices so thank you for that um The uh, so we always start off with a catalyst tune, a track that got you into dance music. I'd imagine yeah. was this one track that was maybe on that Ministry of Sound CD? Do you think? I think it might have been. This is so funny. This track, it's Gala Free from Desire. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like a, it's gonna look like such a comedy moment in your in your playlist. So I remember being a secondary school. It probably was on that Ministry of Sound compilation, actually. Mm. Um, I, ju- I, I was listening to this actually the other day and that's why I chose to put it in there as well because um, there was sort of a load of tracks like this around at that time. Um, there was like, you know, what's she gonna look like with a chimney? <laughs> that was all sort of around the same time. These kind of like fun, dancey kind of vibes. Uh-huh. Um, but I was listening to this track the other day and I, I'm so obsessed with the drama around the intro in the radio edit of this track. It's like a high string and the organ playing that melody and it's uh-huh. like just complete high drama and yeah and it's just like a funny little hook you know and everyone misinterpreted the lyrics this my lover's got no money he's got his strong beliefs it's i, I, used, to, I used to think she was saying trombolese my lover's trombolese and i used to think like what what does that mean i'll tell you what i've never was... even gone that deep into it you've just you've just told me what the lyrics are i never it was like trombolese yeah, yeah. My lover's got no money. He's got his strong beliefs. My lover's got no power. He's got his strong beliefs. It's just like a really simple little song over mm. like a sort of a fun dance, crazy beat. So um, that's going in there. I, it's it's just like one of the one of the tracks that are around at that time. Yeah. I'm a secondary school. These tracks are popping off on. They're on the radio. You can't escape them. You know, and that's as my ears were pricking up to the world of dance music. Yeah. And like you say, the drama of that opening, even to this day, just the first like it comes on, you like. It's like so good. It's actually amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, okay, so the next choice is a floor filler, and I'm so happy you've chosen this because it is an absolute smash. Uh, You've already mentioned his name, but yeah, tell us what you've chosen. Patrick Topping I love Patrick Topping Mm -hmm. such a nice guy he's a mate of mine um I love the music he makes it's Patrick Topping B sharp say now Mm -hmm. it's an absolute fucking anthem it's hard it's got that like gospel sample Mm -hmm. vocal with like big crowd cheers in it which always pumps up a track a lot um yeah I just like I love his trick night I went to his night at DC 10 a few weeks it was amazing mm-hmm. 
it's just it's just an absolute as soon as that dum 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 as soon as that starts coming in everyone's yeah. like because like, they recognize it it's uh-huh. very like lads 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 this this track mm. i like playing this at like big big festival shows um so, such like a straight track as well that like, i love it when i play it because it's like such a laddie fucking like <laughs> it's so huge yeah it's so huge even though it's not like a big gospel kind of female vocal on it it really just feels like a fucking like pills 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, mean? I love it i love it yeah i see so many people lose their minds to it it's like and when, oh my God. Screaming and when the vocal, vocal goes <laughs> it's just like the cum shot i love it yeah <laughs> you're so right yeah it is like pow yeah can this go yeah, any further yeah, yeah bang yeah and then it does <laughs> amazing um okay so a, a sunsetter what have you chosen for a sunset yeah. um sincere by mm-hmm. mj cole yeah, um great choice i loved garage music when i was at school like we were all sort of hanging out in my school listening to like i bring you flowers in the boring rain and like <laughs> sweet light chocolate boy. <laughs> and then um, this sincere track is just such a Oh, it's such a sort of it feels like such a palette cleanser and, mm. and it's I love the production I love that it's very so filtered and like I feel like some of the sounds are sort of like all those like or they're sort of like reversed yeah. so I don't even know what I don't even know what the, it's probably samples and stuff but I feel like what he's done is like reverse stuff and there's loads of filtering up and down and you know it just reminds me of being at school listening to like pirate radio smoking spliffs and and there's that bit, that beach, that, that really beachy kind of bass line is mm-hmm. how I would describe it. Like the bass line sounds like you'd hear it like, you know, being played from the, uh, from a cafe at a beach or something. It's just, it just, it sounds like a holiday. And I love that, that I'd take a, is it take a ride? Take a ride, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's so good. Yeah. Like you yeah. say, a, yeah, like a palate cleanser. Like there was all that stuff in the charts at the time, which was like garage in inverted commas. And then this was like, no, this yeah. is the real deal. This is the smooth production. It's, you can tell a lot's yes, gone into that. Mm. My eyes are on you. Such a nice yeah. little song. And yeah, really, really love that. Love it. Great choice. No, yeah. Abby put that in there. Um, okay, so a tearjerker. Uh, you've yeah. chosen two. I tell you, one of them is already in the playlist. Which one? The Kings Which of Tomorrow, one? finally, oh, yeah. fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, no. But, okay, you know, but we've had people choose things that have gone in there before. We, we just want to hear your story around it and why that is your choice. That's, you know. Well, I wanted the Kings of Tomorrow. I wanted finally by Kings of Tomorrow mm-hmm. because it's just a fantastic. It's the best soulful house tune there is. Yeah. It's just the bass line and the keys and it's just it's still influential now, I feel. I feel like Tell Me Something Good by you and Vicar, like the first time I heard it, like, the music musically reminded me of, of this. That's why I liked it so much. And you know, it's just like a really emotive piece of soulful house music. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's go with my other choice, which um, was it Armin Van... Was it Wings by Armin Van yes. Helden? Yeah. Yes. Well, I love Armin Van Helden. <laughs> uh, love his use of sampling. I love um, his sort of disco influence. And... Um, obviously love Duck Source, his project with A-Track. Mm-hmm. But uh, this track, Wings, it's just, again, it's just a very emotive, it's the top line, really. And I think the melody, the musical melody follows the top line. And and it's just really, it just sort of feels emotional. Yeah. You know, it's just the, the way the way it's sung, the lyrics, the, is I won't let you down, won't let you down again. And just the, the, the melody just sounds very emotional. It's amazing how just like, a collection of a few notes mm-hmm. sung like that with using words can just could just bring out so much emotion mm-hmm. um i don't particularly have like a dance floor memory of like hearing this and like i was in a breakup or anything like that <laughs> i just think it's a, like a really amazing um tearjerker type emotional dance track yeah. that i i'm obsessed with and wish i made <laughs> well that's always the best recommendation isn't it where you like yeah. hear something you're like oh man fucking wish i made 
yeah. Cool, and you've been really good actually, because the last tune, like the amount of times we speak to a DJ or a producer sometimes, and you know, and in in this whole list actually, you haven't chosen anything by yourself, which is quite rare. Oh, so yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's good. Yeah. You've been you've been Didn't quite. Think I was allowed to. Well, no, you've been quite modest in that sense. So yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. But you, no, you can't. You could do if you want. You could change any of those choices up previously if you wanted to swap one out. Uh, but um. Yeah, so a last tune is... Well, the last tune is Lola's Theme by the Shapeshifters. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, over a few festivals this summer, I have played this as the last tune. There's this sort of, I think it's where they recut it, like five years ago or something, it sort of came out again, mm-hmm. like some re-release. I think it's not defected, actually. And um, there's like a nine or 11 minute sort of like really long version of it. Mm-hmm. It's great to close out a festival because soon as soon as that soon as that starts filling up, everyone's like, oh, because it's so yeah. great. Everyone knows this tune. This came out, I think it must have come out in 2004 because that's when I moved to London and started going to nightclubs and mm-hmm. working in clubs. And it was that real funky house era. Yeah. You know, and Heavy Handy was sort of, was like popping off. And this track, Lola's Theme, it's got that huge sample. It's like a Johnny Taylor sample, that musical orchestral kind of two-bar loop that's in there. And it's just a big song. It's... It's got loads of peaks and troughs, which I love, where it sort of brings you up and then it takes you back down again. She sings in a sexy way. And then you go back into that big musical moment with, I'm a different person, you know, and it's got that. It's it's so amazing. And it just reminds me of just being in clubs in 2004 and whatever, as when I was a baby. And yeah, it's working really well at the end of my DJ probably play it tonight at a festival at the end of my set it's a good last tune i wouldn't just play it in midway for a set it kind of would feel a, it would feel a bit like oh what's doing that for but um <laughs> it's a good sort of closing out it's a really good closing out number yeah yeah perfect perfect and yeah i mean you know so at the end of all of that we always come to a, a final question as well which is um you know we are we've talked and we've talked a lot about this um in amongst the interview already but you know we are house culture and obviously we're not only interested in the music it's all about the creativity within the scene and yeah. you know people places and locations and you know all kinds of different characters that are out there and what they kind of add to it when when you look at your place within that um and what it's brought you in your life, you know, how do you sum it all up and, you know, square it with yourself and what has it brought you? Well, it brings me a lot of satisfaction doing what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess some people might just think, oh, it's just a party or, oh, it's just a song or, oh, it's a festival. It's like, it's a piss up, whatever. But actually, like I've mentioned a few times doing this podcast, it nightlife can be a really important thing for someone, um, whether it's a release, an escape, um, learning who you are um it can be a refuge it can be a it could be community um and i think it's it's amazing to be a part of that for people and to and to soundtrack it as well because music is music as we you know we're just going through these tunes music can change emotions and 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 um music can do a lot of music's really medicine for me and for and for millions of people over the world so it's great to share that with people i think i think it's a real privilege to be able to share that with people and as well i think about you know for the little queer kids or whatever there was when i was growing up when i was a, i was a kid you know there was no one like me and there's there was certainly no one like me in 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 dance even in dance music the dance music world when when i started moving into that that world like that i'm just sort of doing it for like anyone who feels a bit different or and and happens to be a dance music fan or a music fan in general as well. I'm not saying I'm a role model, but, you know, because there's like quite a lot of pressure that comes with that. Mm. But just, you know, I, I really stand out and I'm, and I'm, 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 I am different to, you know, I'm not just, I'm not your average like DJ bloke standing there and, and I am different and I am sort of like the black sheep in the playground. I always was when I was at school, I was always different. Mm. I was all, you know, you look at me at five years old and I'm sat there, you know, like some little gay boy clearly you know <laughs> like, it's always been 
shining out of me like it's i've always been this this little queer kid and there's there's literally no difference now i'm you know i can i can be on a festival with like a hundred straight white male djs you know you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. and i'm totally like the odd one out because i'm fucking sat there in a wig and a pair of high heels and um and i'm good with that Mm. i'm all right with that that's kind of what i do it is on purpose i like to push a few buttons i like to be different Mm -hmm. and i like to represent that the world isn't just black and white and i think what i do as well represents fun because i think fun especially after what we've just collectively gone through with covid i think i think a little bit of fun and a little bit of sparkle and a wig (laughs) and some fun dance music is exactly what we need so i do feel like it's sort of like my my role to be one of the people that you know i'm certainly not the only one but it's it's definitely like my calling in life to like help facilitate that fun and bring that bring that to people and um just doing that the best that i can yeah and I want to just take it as far as fucking possible because why not? No one else is going to, are they? So let's just fucking take the Jody Harsh thing really far and have really fun, uh, really loads of fun along the way. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, what an answer. That is absolutely perfect. What a, what a brilliant place to kind of finish up on. So no, thank you so much for taking part in the in the podcast. It's been a pleasure absolute pleasure as well thank you for having me i've loved it no well no thank, thank you. you yeah it's an absolute pleasure and yeah i hope your um your festival goes well tonight i'll go and start getting ready now better go and have a shave <laughs> <laughs> house culture jody's hilarious isn't she had a blast with her doing that one and i must apologize for some of the language used in there even i was getting in on the act at some points I'm sure you'll agree that she's been on an incredible journey and is a fabulous spokesperson for the LGBTQ community as well as the club culture masses at large. And if you want to hear more from Jodie, you can find her podcast called Life of the Party wherever you get your podcasts. Whilst we're talking about other things to listen to, you can, of course, find our House Culture Perfect playlist over on Spotify. You can hear not only Jodie's excellent choices, but you can also check out what all of our other guests have submitted as well. It's a huge selection, so stick it on shuffle and turn it up loud. Then with that as your soundtrack, make sure you help support this podcast by doing all of that good stuff. Loving, liking, tweeting and sharing. Don't forget that if you share some kind words with us, We'll make sure to give you a shout out on a future episode. On this one, I have to say hi to the person on Instagram who goes by the name of House of Wagyu. As they got in touch to say that they live for these podcasts. However, can we get our perfect playlist onto Apple Music? Well, thanks for the nice comments. And I can say that we are working on getting the perfect playlist out there into all the other places we can think of. So watch this space. And then if you don't follow us already, come and join us on our Instagram feed at HouseCultureNet or by following the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, you can do that directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Rave safe and see you next time. House Culture. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.